This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Thursday, October 19th. I'm Julia Caulfield. And I'm Gavin McGough. In today's headlines, local candidates share their vision for Telluride. Bringing awareness to domestic violence. Finding solace in obscurity. And a mountain weather forecast. Rebecca Hall was packed on Tuesday as three candidates vying for Telluride mayor and six candidates running for town council discussed the issues facing Telluride in the Progressive Women's Caucus Election Forum. The forum began with representatives from the town of Telluride and the Telluride Hospital District discussing ballot measures that will go before voters this November. The town has two measures, one asking voters to approve keeping excise lodgers tax revenue and the other amending Telluride's definition of a qualified elector. The medical center is asking voters to approve a 3.25 mil levy increase. There are also measures from the Telluride and Norwood school districts. Forum moderators Jocelyn Lifton-Zolene and Julia Milan-Avila posed a series of questions to candidates asking if they see themselves as disruptors, looking for real-world solutions for addressing the housing crisis, how they would bring more diverse voices into decision-making, and what they would do to champion families. With six new candidates running for two open seats on town council, Lise Betton says she understands the issues facing Telluride and intends to lead from a space of unity. I recognize the decisions and the lack of decisions made by our town council can have a profound and lasting impact both on our full and part-time residents. But more importantly, I recognize the healing benefits that unity can forge within a fractured community. I vouch to work collaboratively to shape and define our unified regional goals. And as a council member, I will always seek to actively listen and effectively communicate the best and highest purpose of our entire community. Jenny Carlson says she wants to help provide a voice for those who live in Telluride, but also business owners who may not be able to vote, but who are impacted by decisions of town council. Through my experience, I can relate to residents, second homeowners and visitors. I believe my strong suits to be a valuable member of town council are a business background. I've lived in four countries and understand that issues Telluride have are not unique to Telluride. But Ellen Eleven wants to focus on the individuals who live in the community. We're often told the story that Telluride needs people to support its economy. I think that Telluride's economy should support its people. Tourism is our major industry and is the reason for most of our infrastructure needs. And I think we need to be creative and clever about how we fund upcoming projects. I don't think the Telluride taxpayer should be responsible for bearing the cost of the tourism economy. Maria Stark says she will bring her experience from finance and data to town council while working to represent the full community. If elected, I will work hard to represent everyone. I really enjoy meeting people and hearing what they care about. Ashley's story says she wants to work for the home she's always known. I was born and raised in this town. I actually went to Rainbow Preschool (laughs) and I graduated from high school and I returned back here um, because I think this is the most special place in the world. Um, For a lot of people, Telluride is their chosen home, but Telluride is my only home. And I think that that weighs really heavy on me because um, this is 
this is it for me. This is my community. And I don't have somewhere else to go if this place doesn't make it. Finally, Jonathan Yassine says he wants all Telluridians to have the opportunity to stay in the community. My goals and my vision for Telluride is that we need to maintain a place where everyone who wants a path will have one. And this is a vibrant community. I'm obsessed with the sustainability and the vibrancy of this community. In a question posed only to the three candidates running for mayor, Lifton Zolin and Milan Avila asked candidates why they want to be mayor rather than a member of town council and what they see as the difference between the roles. Jesse Ray Arguelles says after serving six years on town council, running for mayor seems like a natural progression. Politics and being a local activist is something that I've been involved in since I was in grade school. This is um, a long-term, lifelong job for me. This is not something that I need to do. This is something that I want to do. Teddy Errico says he wants to bring a new form of leadership. I do think our previous councils have done a very good job in trying to solve the needs of our community and have put the building blocks in place for us to be a great community. But we need a leader who can act and can act now. Finally, Mian Fee says as the current mayor pro tem, fulfilling the duties of Telluride mayor, she's the one who best understands the job. But when I ran for council, I ran for one reason, and it was that I love this community and I wanted to make sure that the future of this community was set and and solid. I want to be mayor because I do understand the difference in the roles. I'm the only of the three candidates that have sat in these in the particular role and understand what it entails. Ballots for the 2023 election were mailed out this week. They are due by 7 p.m. on Tuesday, November 7th. 24-hour ballot drop boxes are available at the Miramonte building in Telluride and the Glockson building in Norwood. In-person voting, voter registration, and replacement ballots will be available at the County Annex on Main Street in Telluride Monday through Friday, October 30th to November 6th from 8.30 a.m. to 4.30 p.m., on Saturday, November 4th from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., and on Election Day from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. The same services will be available at Norwood Town Hall on Election Day from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. To find all of KOTO's election coverage, including the full recording of the Progressive Women's Caucus Candidate Forum, go to koto.org slash 2023-election-coverage. October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Next week, the San Miguel Resource Center will be recognizing the month, bringing the issue into focus. And what that looks like is you'll begin to notice purple ribbon um, going up around town. You might see some artwork in storefronts that um, show support for survivors and um, those of us that are in this work and the work that we're doing um, because it is not easy. That's Lauren Norton, the bilingual advocate at the San Miguel Resource Center. The center will also fly a banner on Main Street. Year-round, SMRC works with victims and survivors of domestic violence in San Miguel County and trains advocates to spread its message of solidarity and safety. At the center, Norton continues, Our really like core mission is to supply community-based resources for folks, to, to be that connection point within a vast area without a large population density. Um, It allows for 
us to to kind of be one-stop shopping for anyone that finds themselves in these situations. Um, I've had clients everywhere from, you know, my neighborhood to Egnar. Many working in the field state their goal is to end domestic violence outright once and for all. Norton recognizes this is a high bar, perhaps even unachievable. But the fact that so many people, and I must say so many women really that work in these fields, are so united behind this idea that this is possible um, is is mind-boggling and, and humbling and and truly inspiring on a daily basis. The work of the Resource Center also has deeply felt impacts on the personal scale. Here's Norton. I can also say that when you see a client go from a state of being frozen or unable to to act because of the way that they've been controlled, and then to just see the impact of the way that the Resource Center addresses those types of situations where we can empower them. It's really just the best, most lightning, huge, I don't even, I can't even describe it with words what it does for both that person and myself as being able to witness that and hold that space for them. Anyone in Telluride, San Miguel County, or the broader region can call the center's 24-hour hotline for support in a matter of domestic violence or a related difficulty. That number is 1-844-816-3915. SMRC also provides twice-yearly advocate trainings to provide individuals with the knowledge of how to support and protect assault survivors in our region. Find out more at smrcco.org. In times of difficulty, San Miguel County Poet Laureate Joanna Yonder often turns to the written word. Poetry can be a really important receptacle for big feelings, can be this container for things that are really um, ill-defined otherwise. With reports of violence in Israel and Palestine, flooding news outlets and social media, she says poetry has been a space to feel and breathe. In the online verse that like for a lot of people that's been a way to express or to find solidarity or to, um, yeah, emote. And I think that obviously no response will encapsulate what needs to be encapsulated in a moment like this during global unrest. And especially during global unrest that has so many ramifications for kind of like human dignity um, but that poetry can be a way to help help people feel that what they need to feel. Yonder stopped by KOTO to share a poem reflecting on Southwest Colorado's recent eclipse and its juxtaposition against violence in other parts of the world. I think one of the hardest things in a time of global unrest is understanding that like life's going on over here and we're all going to Dolores to watch the sun go behind the moon and I'm doing little things around my house, around my ranch, and and on the other side of the world, people's realities are so, so, so different. And trying to, like, lean into what that is. So this is obscurity. Tell me of your eclipse. Tell me that your sun was blotted out. By what? A passing cloud, 
the screech and terror of metal hitting stone. On our side of Earth, it was just the moon, a moment of sheer stillness laced with icy wind, life after the light has gone away. Here in the greenhouse, I am pruning leaves away so that the final days of autumn sun can ripen up the last of the tomatoes. Out in the field, the shepherd Justo tells me that he lost a sheep. Now there are only 99. He watched the eclipse too, in marvel at the sudden darkness. Here we are warm again. On your side of earth, the sun was shadowed by a falling bomb. Will the light return again? Can truth return from that dark shadow? Tell me of your eclipse. Tell me. That was San Miguel County Poet Laureate Joanna Yonder reading her poem, Obscurity. With trees reduced to skeletons on the hillsides and darkness lingering in the morning hours, it's the season of haunting in Telluride. But don't be spooked this year by a bout of flu. The San Miguel County Public Health Department is offering flu vaccines and COVID boosters at clinics throughout the fall, and there's still time to sign up. Everyone over six months of age is recommended to get both shots, and Public Health Director Grace Franklin says as COVID begins to follow a more seasonal pattern. Getting a COVID vaccine now through um, early winter would do a great job at protecting you from infection uh, throughout the entire ski season or winter season. Access to the latest COVID vaccines was delayed, Franklin explains. There's just been a lot of shipment issues across the U.S., Um, There's plenty of vaccines out there. Um, It's just for some reason they're not getting to the clinics in a timely manner. However, the COVID shots have arrived and are being offered alongside flu vaccines. Public Health hopes to make RSV immunizations available as soon as possible. Clinics run two to three times weekly at the public health offices on Main Street in Telluride, and Public Health will be in Norwood, offering shots on November 13th. Find out more and sign up at bit.ly slash smc dash fall vaccines. The Telluride Ski Resort will be burning timber piles on the mountain next week. The burning will take place on U.S. Forest Service land at the top of Lift 5 and the base of Lift 9. According to Telski, the logs and woody debris to burn have been stockpiled from forest health projects executed over the summer. Telski officials note the burns will only take place when conditions allow, potentially Tuesday, October 24th through Friday, October 27th. The ski resort will remain closed to all public access until opening day, scheduled for Thursday, November 23rd. The gondola will make its final lap of the 2023 summer season at midnight this Saturday, October 21st. 
It will remain closed for off-season maintenance until November 17th. But you can still get between Telluride and Mountain Village. Between Sunday the 22nd and November 16th, SMART will be running its off-season bus schedule. The schedule offers direct connections seven days a week between the village, Lawson Hill, and Telluride, with additional stops along the way. It is also rolling out an off-season express Monday through Friday with stops connecting Town Park and Telluride directly to the Market Plaza in Mountain Village. Running between 6 a.m. and 7 p.m., the route aims to assist commuters who usually rely on the gondola. Find the full schedule by downloading the transit app or visiting smarttelluride.org. The Bureau of Reclamation has released an early report about the future management of the Colorado River. KUNC's Alex Hager reports the federal agency gathered more than 24,000 letters with input from water users across the region. States, cities, tribes, and environmental groups were among those offering opinions on how to manage the shrinking water supply when current water-sharing rules expire in 2026. Camille Kalimlim-Tutin is the commissioner of Reclamation. We have more to do, that we need to look at supply and demand, how we can be more innovative and bring to bear these new investments, but also these new tools for conservation and efficiency. Letters to the federal agency show there are still deep divisions over how exactly to address that supply and demand issue. States are reluctant to give up water that sustains growing populations and agricultural communities and aren't willing to sacrifice water supplies before others commit to the same. I'm Alex Hager. John Waterman has been exploring and advocating for wild spaces throughout the U.S. for several decades. The former wilderness guide and National Park Service ranger lives in Carbondale and writes about his favorite ones in his new book, Atlas of Wild America, which has just been published through National Geographic. Waterman spoke with Rocky Mountain Community Radio's Maeve Conran about the need to preserve wilderness places. I want people to see it as a celebration of the wilderness and an inspiration not only to get out there and explore, moreover, to take care of it. Um, And I think that by its nature, wilderness draws people who are conservationists and preservationists who are inclined to take care of the place. Although I put the seven principles of leave no trace in the opening pages of the book, I trust that people who are interested in wilderness will be taking care of it and will leave no trace. So again, ultimately, I see it as a celebration of wilderness, uh, of what we have that, that is so amazing. When we talk about wilderness areas, people might just think this is just a grandiose way to describe open spaces. And yet there are legal definitions and federal protections that go along with specific wilderness designations. What are those and and what does it mean for a place legally to be designated as wilderness? Well, most importantly, it it, uh, cannot, uh, there can't be any mineral exploitation that goes on in wilderness areas. There are exceptions, places that were grandfathered in, for instance, with mining claims. But on the whole, and particularly for the purposes of the book, the places that I chose have a a minimum of that sort of thing going on. There are no roads 
are if there are roads, they're they're very they're primitive roads only. No mechanical vehicles, uh, no vehicles whatsoever. Motorized uh, use is allowed in wilderness. Um, and you know, by the the language of the wilderness acts, these are places that are untrammeled by man. So uh, we we are leaving them uh, and maintaining them in their pristine state. I think it's interesting that. Even the trail maintenance in wilderness areas by the terms of the Wilderness Act, whether it's managed by the Forest Service or the BLM or the Fish and Wildlife Service or the parks, um, they uh, only do a certain amount of trail maintenance and the trails can't be um, made uh, uh, too wide. Uh, they can't use helicopters or chainsaws, for instance, to do, to do bridge work. Uh, they have to use natural materials and the surrounding timber to build a bridge if, if one is needed. In many instances, they take out bridges so that we may experience these places in uh, at their most pristine. Another part of the, the language of the Wilderness Act is, is that where man shall only be a, a, a visitor, which is great. And I think that for our purposes and the need to disconnect and then connect with wilderness, it's it's just fine. We're drawn to the isolation of wilderness, but really, um, wilderness before the colonial days, our continent was uh, inhabited by as many as sixty million uh, indigenous peoples. So wilderness doesn't necessarily not have to have people. And in Alaska, there's great exception in the wilderness areas because there's a, a great deal of subsistence use in legislated wilderness areas. So again, it's a slippery concept, uh, wilderness, um, but there are some basic tenets of it, and, th and those are some of them. Somebody like yourself, John, you live in a beautiful part of the world in Carbondale and the Roaring Fork Valley on the western slope of Colorado. Do you still experience awe when you go into these wild spaces? What happens to you on a personal level when you go into some of these areas that you've written about? Well, that's a great question. I, I yes, and I do experience awe on a routine basis. Uh, I routinely go into Bureau of Land Management land directly behind my house, um, and what happens to me, even though I'm disconnecting, if you will, from my iPhone and the computer, I am reconnecting with the wilds. And I believe that when I go into the wilderness, as happens to many people that we engage our senses in a way that we don't have the opportunity to do uh, in our uh, busy worlds of careers and connection. Uh, in fact, that we have the opportunity to uh, develop our sixth sense and our intuition in a way that we can't uh, in uh, the, the rest of our lives. So, um, and of course our, our legislators agreed, they created the Wilderness Act in 1964, uh, for these very reasons, um, not just for for the wildlife or the for the resource itself, but for us, for human beings, as a spiritual connection place. The National Weather Service forecast for the Western San Juans calls for a clear night tonight with a low around 40 degrees. Friday should bring sun with a high near 70 degrees, followed by a clear night with a low around 40. Saturday, expect sun again with a high in the mid-60s, followed by a clear night with a low around 40. This has been the news for Thursday, October 19th. 
Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206.